Section 10 of The Diary of a Country Parson by James Woodford. Read by John Greenman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 1768. January 4th. Jack did not come home till near four in the morning. He was much in liquor and quite unhappy. The devil has had great power over him today. O oh Lord, grant him strength from the holy place to withstand him better pro futuro. January 6th. I read prayers this morning at C. Carey Church, being Epiphany. I had a small congregation, it being excessive cold, as cold and severe weather on all accounts as in the year 1740. On January 12th he enters that he buried a man found dead in the snow. February 3rd. One Sarah Gore came to me this morning and brought me an instrument from the Court of Wells to perform public penance next Sunday at C. Carey Church for having a child, which I am to administer to her publicly next Sunday after divine service, which accordingly was done after the sermon on Sunday, February 7th. Public penance for such sins as fornication and slander, medieval, though the practice may seem to modern notions, was occasionally practiced throughout the eighteenth century. How often it is impossible to say, several instances are quoted in Abbey and Overton's admirable work, The English Church in the Eighteenth Century, note, volume two, pages 506 through 509, and two or three more have been unearthed by Dr. Wickham Legg, note, English Country Life, etc., 1914, pages 257 through 259 and 278 through 280. The diarist does not give us any idea that he thought the custom rare, and it may be that it was more common than has been supposed. The ordeal was terrible enough, and it is not without reason that the phrase, to put on a white sheet, has survived, for that is what the penitent wore, standing in the middle of the church and confessing. Dr. Legg has discovered examples of the form of confession. Thus, in the course of one actually used in 1733, the woman says, I do here in the presence of Almighty God and this congregation humbly confess and acknowledge that I have most grievously offended His Divine Majesty in defiling my body by committing the heinous sin of fornication with William for which, my said foul offense, I am heartily sorry, and do sincerely repent thereof, and beg of God mercy and forgiveness for the same. And in 1801 a man confessed as follows, Good people, whereas I, contrary to good manners and Christian charity, have unjustly reproached and defamed Elizabeth Bridges by saying to her, You are a strumpet, and I knew you when you lay on the Botley Road, of which I am convinced in the said court, the archdeacon's court, by my own confession and by the decree of that court, am come hither to acknowledge my fault, which I heartily do, and am sorry I have so defamed and injured the said Elizabeth Bridges, and do hereby ask forgiveness of the same. February 17th. As I returned from church, it was Ash Wednesday. I went into Ansford Inn and read the commendatory prayer to poor Mrs. Perry, who was just departing this life and who died just as I had finished. 
She went off extremely easy, without any visible emotion at all. I hope she is gone to unspeakable joys of eternity. Lord, make us wise to consider our latter end, and live good lives. February 25th. I sent two spitting basins to Councillor Mellier this morning at Galampton as a present. February 28th. I read prayers and preached this morning at Ansford Church. Brother John spent his whole day with Mr. Wright at Ansford Inn. My father and Dr. Clark had a few words coming out of Ansford Church this morning, but all things were made up before they parted, and the doctor came and smoked a pipe with my father at Parsonage in the afternoon with his wife. March 1st. Great dinners, etc., given today at the George Inn and the Angel by Sir Charles Tynes and Mr. Cox's friends, viz. by Lord Ilchester, Lord Berkeley of Bruton, and Mr. Mildmay, but neither were there. There were a great multitude of all sorts, gentle and simple. Mr. Cox himself was there, bells ringing, etc., and a great procession through town with music playing and guns firing. They all came up in the afternoon as far as Justice Creed's, and Mr. Cox himself being there, we, the diarist was dining with Justice Creed, both went out and spoke to him, and we both went back with him, with the procession, down to the George Inn, where we drank success to him, and was there for an hour in the large room with the multitude till Mr. Cox made a very handsome, sensible, and genteel speech and then he withdrew, as did we immediately. Brother John dined and spent the evening with the multitude. March 2nd. Esquire Farr went and drank one bottle of port with me at the lower house this afternoon. He has got one thousand pounds per annum, and lives in a very handsome manner in Dorsetshire. It is clear that the diarist regarded Esquire with one thousand pounds a year as a rich man, the sum is so small as compared with present ideas of a rich man's income that we may as well pause to consider what the equivalent of one thousand pounds a year in 1768 would be in present values. Despite the difficulties of estimating the variations in the purchasing power of money at different periods, note, readers interested in this bewildering subject should, as a preliminary, Consult Cunningham's Growth of English Industry and Commerce, Modern Times, Part Two, Appendix G, page 937, and The Dictionary of Political Economy, Articles on Wages and Prices, etc. We would hazard the estimate that the rough equivalent of £1,000 a year net in 1768 would be at least £5,000 a year net today, January 1st. 1923. In making this estimate we have had regard to the fact that a curate's pay, for instance the diarist's, a hundred and fifty years ago, was not much more than thirty pounds a year, and that an agricultural laborer, according to Arthur Young at Taunton in 1770, got one shilling a day, with cider thrown in, that Squire Weston was regarded as one of the richest men in Somerset with his estate of upwards of three thousand pounds a year, and that Fielding makes the landlady say to Tom Jones in the inn on the road to Bristol, and yet I warrants me 
there is narrow a one of all those officer fellows but looks upon himself to be as good as arrow a squire of five hundred pounds a year book then chapter two that the diarist only paid his servant boy about three pounds a year wages that the prices of a variety of essential foodstuffs were at least five times less than today see page forty four on the other hand the price of wheat per quarter in the ten years from seventeen sixty three to seventeen seventy three averaged early in march midway between harvests from thirty eight shillings sixpence to forty five shillings a quarter at mark lane Note, thorold rogers history of agricultural prices in england volume seven table of wheat prices and the price to-day for english wheat at mark lane is from forty-one shillings to forty-four shillings a quarter note the times december thirtieth nineteen twenty two of course travelling was much more expensive than now and one could not get the same general comfort for one's money but in so far as comparison is possible i do not think we should be far wrong in multiplying seventeen sixty eight incomes by five in order to get the modern equivalent from this time however indeed the process began a year earlier prices rise steadily by eighteen o three when the diarist died they had practically doubled according to arthur young's computation march fourth i lent brother john this afternoon at lower house to pay his expenses at ansford inn last wednesday night one pound one shilling and be it was the last guinea i had but it was proper so to do that he might by no means appear shabby march fifteenth justice creed made me a visit this morning and my brother gave him a song whilst james clark performed on his bass viol march seventeenth great rejoicings this day at c carry on account of mr trevelyan's declining standing the pole for this county of somerset after so much hurry and disturbance so that sir charles tynt and mr cox are to be our members may they make great and worthy representatives march twenty first i got up very early this morning and after breakfast i set out for oxford for the university election he got safely to oxford on mr francis's horse lent for the occasion and sir roger newdigate is elected much to his satisfaction he returns to ansford on march twenty sixth march twenty ninth my father would not play cards it being passion week and the justice creed who was visiting there was not very pleased and b no cards this week at parsonage which i think is not amiss though there might be no harm april fifth my tenants from sandford orcus came to me this morning and paid me their rents in all four pounds seventeen shillings i gave them all a dinner a loin of veal roasted and a good plum pudding for their prompt pay april sixth my new boy george hutchins came home this morning i settled as underneath with his father for wages to give him per annum two pounds two shillings to let him have that is only to lend him during the time he lives with me a coat a waistcoat and hat etc he is to find himself in shoes breeches and shirts and if i buy them for him to deduct it out of his wages 
He is a likely boy and bears a good character. April 14th. I made a visit this morning to old Mr. Creed in South Cary. I made two dinners this day, one at the lower house by myself to teach my new boy to wait at table, and another at parsonage. I went over to see Carrie this night after eleven o'clock and privately baptized a child born this day, and very dangerously ill in convulsions, by name of George, of Perry's, a mason and a poor man in South Cary. Mem, never did I any ecclesiastical duty with more pleasure as it gave such great satisfaction to its parents, and that they were so good and charitably disposed to have it done. The poor innocent babe was taken with a violent fit immediately after I had named it, and I really thought was dead, but it pleased God to restore it again, which was undoubtedly a blessing from heaven for their goodness. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are thy ways. Great is thy mercy, O Lord God of hosts. April 15th. The poor little infant which I privately baptized last night departed this world this afternoon. April 17th, after carry service, I buried that little infant, which I privately named two days ago, two days old, a very happy turn for the dear innocent. April 19th, we had some country dancing and minuets at Lower House, where he was giving a party. I danced country dances with Mrs. Farr and Miss Payne. I danced one minuet with Mrs. Farr at last. I gave Stephen Bennett, the fiddler, two shillings sixpence. We were very merry and no breaking up till two in the morning. I gave Mrs. Farr a roasted shoulder of mutton and a plum pudding for dinner, veal cutlets, frilled potatoes, cold tongue, ham, and cold roast beef, and eggs in their shells. Punch wine, beer, and cider for drinking. May 9th. I never saw a peacock spread his tail before this day at Justice Creed's, and most noble it is. How wonderful are thy works, O God, in every being! May 13th. Terrible riots in London. Note. These were the Wilkes riots on May 10th in St. George's Field. See pages 91-92 by the paper have been and likely to be may twenty second my poor father and jack had a dispute this evening oh that jack was but well settled in life what pleasure would it give us all may twenty third i received a note from my father this morning by sister jane and wherein he insists on jack's not coming to this house again for some time as he disturbed him so much last night that he could not sleep on May 26th, a very fine tench above a pound, which Jack also caught, a brace of tench, had been sent to Justice Creed, was sent up to my father. The father sends twenty pounds to the diarist to give Jack. June 25th, at backgammon with my father today, lost sixpence. A betting with Brother John at drafts and at backgammon with my father lost what he owed me, two shillings sixpence. On July 14th and 16th he buries two small children who died of smallpox, and observes, I must say it is very cruel of Robin Francis not to have had them inoculated, as Dr. Clark would have done it for a mere trifle. Note. 
See pages 40 and 41 for remarks on inoculation. July 18th. The church wardens of C. Carey, Mr. Seth Burge and David Maybe, waited on my father this afternoon for leave to dig up the fives place in Carey churchyard, and it was granted. On July 23rd, his great-aunt arrives to stay at the parsonage from Bath. She beats him greatly at backgammon. He says later, My great-aunt is an extreme sensible old lady. On July 29th, he dines and spends the afternoon with Justice Creed, his, the Justice's father, and Parson Gapper of Yarlington. Constant hospitality is interchanged with the neighbors in all these years. August 1st. Dr. Clark had a letter this evening from Dr. Dimsdale from Hartford, who is just going to embark for Holland, and from thence is to go by land to Petersburg in Russia, to inoculate the Empress of Russia and her son. It is a pity, but James Clark had went with him. Thomas Dimsdale, 1712 to 1800, was a medical practitioner at Hartford, and made his name by his advocacy of inoculation. His book, The Present Method of Inoculation for the Smallpox, published in 1767, passing through numerous editions. In the year following the publication of this work, he was invited, to quote the author of the graphic account in the Dictionary of National Biography, to St. Petersburg by the Empress Catherine to inoculate herself and the Grand Duke Paul, her son, the Empress herself seems to have placed perfect reliance on the Englishman's good faith, but she could not answer for her subjects. She had, therefore, relays of post-horses prepared for him all along the line from St. Petersburg to the extremity of her dominions, that his flight might be instant and rapid in case of disaster. Fortunately, both patients did well, and the physician was created a counselor of state with the hereditary title of baron, now born by his descendant. He received a sum of ten thousand pounds down, with an annuity of five hundred pounds, and three thousand pounds for his expenses. The empress presented him with a miniature of herself and her son set in diamonds, and granted him an addition to his family arms in the shape of a wing of the Black Eagle of Russia. He again went to Russia to inoculate other members of the royal family in 1784. Baron Dimsdale sat for Hertford in two parliaments, 1780 and 1784, wrote various additional works on inoculation, established a hospital for inoculation at Hartford, and died in 1800, aged 88. He was a member of the Society of Friends. On August 6th, the diarist goes with Justice Creed to dine at Storton with Mr. Hoare, note of the famous banking-house, a tall, thin gentleman and very familiar, and as rich as any man in the kingdom, and his pictures and furniture equally good. And B. Servants wear ruffles, but not suffered to take veils. Note tips. On August 9th, Mrs. Millier gives a public breakfast in the Cary Vicarage Garden in honor of Lord Staverdale's coming of age. His lordship is on his travels abroad. Among the guests, Mr. and Mrs. Gapper and Miss Gapper. There was dancing after breakfast in the garden till three in the afternoon. Later there was a ball at Ansford Inn. The diarist plays at quadrille with Mrs. Millier, Mrs. Gapper, and Mr. Scrogg, and loses sixpence. 
Justice Creed was not at these festivities, there being a misunderstanding between the houses. On August 13th some things he has ordered from Oxford arrive, among them eight pewter dishes and one dozen plates, all engraved with my arms. On August 17th he sets out for Oxford with his boy, George Hutchins, my George, for the election of a warden of New College. Oglander elected, not his friend sale. He notes on August 21st that they dine in college, now at three o'clock every day, Sundays excepted, which is half after three then. He reaches Ansford again on August 24th. August 29th. Justice Creed called upon us this evening, and he desired me to dine with him tomorrow with the lady of the manor, Mrs. Powell, who came to her steward's, Uncle Tom's, this afternoon. September 6th. Both Bath, aunts, and maids set forth this morning after breakfast for Bath, where I hope they will get safe. They went in old downshays. I took my leave of them this morning at Parsonage, where my great-aunt treated me and others with chocolate. September 7th. I went out after breakfast, uh, coursing on Mr. Francis's horse, with Mr. Hindley and Mr. Anderson, to South Barrow, we killed a brace of young fine hares. September 13th. I caught four brace of tench, very fine ones, out of our pond close this morning, in less than an hour, by my father's dragnet that I borrowed. Mr. Hindley, Justice Creed, and Sister Jane supped and spent the evening with me at Lower House. I gave them for dinner a dish of tench, ham and fowls, roasted leg of mutton, and an apple pudding. They had wine, punch, beer, and cider to drink. At Quadrille this evening, with the above, one two shillings. I sent my father a brace of the best tench and alive. I invited Dr. Clark and wife to dine with me, but they did not choose to come, not being agreeable. September 14th. Sister Jane made a visit this afternoon with her sister to the new married couple at Ansford Inn. Mr. Hindley and Justice Creed called at Parsonage this evening in their chair to ask me to dinner tomorrow to talk about going to Wells with them Friday concerning the gallery work to wait on the bishop, but I shall not go, I believe, nor interfere at all concerning it, but to live peaceably with all men. He is a little unreasonable to desire it, as I must then fly in the face of almost all my parishioners. Great and many are the divisions in sea carry, and some almost irreconcilable. Send us peace, O Lord. With thee, O Lord, all things are possible. Squire Creed's man, for some reason, had been kept out of the gallery by the singers, and the squire wanted to have the gallery taken down. September 17th. I dined, supped, and spent the evening at Justice Creed's with him, his father, and Mr. Hindley. Nothing transpired of what they did at Wells. They behaved very respectively toward me. September 23rd. Russell of Newcall dined and spent the afternoon with me at Lower House. He has lately been presented to three livings. Note. For observations on pluralism, see pages 38 and 39 worth five hundred pounds per annum by Portman. I gave him for dinner a roasted neck of pork and some hashed mutton. September 24th. 
My father had a letter from Brother John at Taunton this evening, and in it one to Jenny he sent home for five guineas. And B. My father was very angry indeed with him, as he had twenty pound of him when he went down to Taunton. Such extravagant demands cannot but hurt him greatly. I wish with all my heart he would but consider. September 29th. I buried Thomas Roach of Bruton, who died in the smallpox there, a poor wild creature he has been, this afternoon at C. Carry. I had a black silk hat-band and a pair of black gloves sent me for burying him by his good brother, who was at the expense in burying him handsomely. He died not worth a shilling. His brother supported him for some time. His brother has behaved surprisingly kind to all his relations, and is worth a good deal of money by his diligence, goodness, and benevolence. Mrs. Carr and Miss Chambers, guests of Squire Creed's, where the diarist and his sister were dining, did not behave quite so genteel to Jenny this evening as I expected. October 9th. David Maybe, also church warden, the clerk, dined with us, being sacrament Sunday. October 12th. I walked this afternoon to Yarlington and christened a child for Parson Gapper, by name Lucy. I drank tea this afternoon with Mrs. Gapper and her mother-in-law, old Mrs. Gapper, aged eighty-three, and a fine old lady she is indeed of her age. October 26th. I had a poor little cat that had one of her ribs broke, and that laid across her belly, and we could not tell what it was, and she was in great pain. I therefore, with a small penknife this morning, opened one side of her and took it out and performed the operation very well, and afterwards sewed it up and put Friar's balsam to it, and she was much better after. The incision was half an inch. It grieved me much to see the poor creature in such pain before, and therefore made me undertake the above, which I hope will preserve the life of the poor creature. November 5th. I read prayers this morning at Cary, being 5 of November, the day on which the papists had contrived a hellish plot in the reign of King James I, but by the divine hand of Providence was fortunately discovered. I dined, supped, and spent the evening at Parsonage. The effigy of Justice Creed was had through the streets of C. Carry this evening upon the fire-engine, and then had into the park and burnt in a bonfire immediately before the Justice's house, for his putting the church wardens of Carry into Wells Court, for not presenting James Clark for making a riot in the gallery at Carry Church some few Sundays back. The whole parish are against the justice, and they intend to assist the church wardens in carrying on the cause at Wells. The justice is now at Lord Paulet's at Hinton. November 11th. At Whist this evening with James Clark, Brother John, Brother Hayes, at which we laughed exceedingly, I lost with them in the whole sixpence. November 22nd. I married Tom Burge of Ansford to Charity Andrews of C. Carey by license this morning. The parish of Carey made him marry her, and he came hand-bolted to church for fear of running away, and the parish of Carey was at all the expense of bringing of them to I received of Mr. Andrew Russ, the overseer of the poor of Carey, for it, ten shillings sixpence. 
December 1st, Cousin Bob Woodford, I heard tonight, had got the place that he stood for at Winchester, which was an apothecary to the county hospital of Hants, which I was very pleased with, as I wrote in his behalf. December 9th, I paid Mr. Gray this morning the Bath newsman for two little pamphlets he brought me from Bath, namely High Life, Below Stairs, and Low Life, Above Stairs, two shillings. December 11th, I read prayers and preached this morning at C. Carey Church, and B. Justice Creed was at church and behaved very shy to me. On December 19th, old Mr. Will Burge desired me to visit Mr. Creed soon. December 24th, it being Christmas Eve, we had the new singers of C. Carey this evening at Parsonage, and they having been at great expenses in learning to sing, my father and myself gave them double what we used to do, and therefore instead of one shilling we each gave two shillings. December 26th. I was very bad in my throat all night, but towards the morning was rather better, only extremely hoarse. I could not go to read prayers this morning at Carrie, though it was St. Stephen, which I hope will be forgiven. Sister Jane visited me this morning, and she being deaf, and I not able to speak, was good company. End of section 10, 1768.